Hello, and welcome to episode 154 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, and sometimes Matthew has also never seen before, and talk about the good, the bad, and the superstitious. This week we're going to be talking about Moonstruck on your Bring Me the Big Knife podcast. And if you want to talk to me about culturally uh, relevant movie, maybe relevant's not the right word, but movies that talk about a culture I'm not super familiar with, like Moonstruck, you can find me at Mandy K on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Matthew Vos. You can find me on Twitter at Matthew Vos. <laughs> yeah, there's We're a lot so of stuff. We're so prepared. This yeah. is this new year. I had a break over Christmas. What's that podcasting? Yeah, I'm trying to learn how to wing it like you do. Oh, you're so clearly. good at it. That's, that is just how I do it. <laughs> you're better at it than I am. That is for sure. Interesting. Interesting because the culture thing I found. Oh, I need to stop using the word interesting. I found the culture thing interesting uh, because I don't think it matters. I think they might have been writing what they know, but I think this could have been. Mm, okay. Any, any. Nationality, it could have been. So neither the director or writer, neither the director or the writer has any Italian in them at all. No. So I don't think they were writing what they knew. No, but I I don't think it matters. I think you can transplant this to any any group community. I don't even think it needs to have been a very specific community. Okay, I think the the central plot that is true. The execution is very very specifically Italian American. Oh, absolutely. Think, um, and I think that's what makes this movie so iconic. Mm-hmm. Well, let's 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 talk about that in a minute. Can you please tell me? Uh, and let's see if you can tell me what is Moonstruck actually about? <laughs> it's about the moon and being stricken by it. <laughs> when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie. That's amore. That is amore. <laughs> so that song is a football chant, and it's really hard for me to hear it and not go. When the ball hits the net, who's the scorer? You bet that's Zamora. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Although he went through a dry patch and of not scoring. Um, <laughs> and the song became, when the ball hits your head, when you're sat in row Z, who's the scorer? It's Zamora. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's Football is not nice over here. No, um, it doesn't sound nice at all. Sorry, I'm completely derailing this. All right. So... Loretta Castorini is a 37-year-old widow who has agreed to marry a man she likes but doesn't love. Ronnie Camareri is her fiancé's estranged younger brother. When Loretta tries to convince Ronnie to come to the wedding, they instead fall for each other. Which sounds like the quintessential rom-com plot, doesn't it? Is it is standard rom-com stuff, yeah. It is on the surface. Mm. I, I had some epiphanies about my opinions of romance and, and romantic comedies as a genre while watching this okay okay hold on to those thoughts okay oh how come you've never seen this film <laughs> um this is an 80s movie that had Cher in it so okay. there was really nothing about it that i that interested me which okay. people are gonna yell at me for that so let me go ahead and skip down to my experience yeah with yeah right <laughs> before we move forward don't at me you guys keep in mind i grew up very sheltered right 
Like Cher is not in the genre of like appropriate music in my house. So I never listened to Cher. I didn't like Cher slash really know anything about Cher until Believe came out in 1999-ish. Okay. 98-99. So that was well after this movie existed. <laughs> I mean, I love Cher now. I uh, still haven't seen Mamma Mia 2, but um, oh God, what's that movie? Well, uh, okay, let, let's dig into the actual core of this. You've not seen Mermaids. I have not. I've not seen Mermaids. Right. I've not seen Mask. I've not seen... Oh, Mask is supposed to be good. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeah, and I haven't seen anything Cher acted in. I haven't seen Witches of Eastwick. Which is a solid film? I've, I've heard. Burlesque, okay. that's the movie I was looking for. Burlesque Which is my first Cher movie, and I loved it. Oh, you've seen Burlesque? Yes, I love it. Oh, How can okay. you not love it? It's Cher, it's Christina Aguilera, and it's Stanley Tucci. Because it's blooming awful. It's, and I said Christina Aguilera. Christina <laughs> Aguilera. No, I love, I love Burlesque, but I also love that genre of movie, like that type of movie. She's an Aguilera in a bottle. Um. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so Moonstruck is a 1987 romantic comedy starring Cher, Nicolas Cage, and Olympia Dukakis. It was written by John Patrick Shanley and directed by Norman Jewison. It was both a critical and commercial success, grossing $80 million domestically, making it the fifth highest grossing film of the year. It opened at number three and spent 20 non-consecutive weeks in the top 10. Siskel and Ebert both included it on their top 10 list that year, and CinemaScore gave the film an A-. It was nominated for six Academy Awards, winning for Best Actress, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Screenplay. It appears on several AFI lists, including being named the eighth best romantic comedy ever. Now, it was nominated for six. You listed the three at one. Yes. It was also nominated for Best Supporting Actor. So it was nominated for all all the acting awards, except the one Nicolas Cage was eligible for. <laughs> How do you think he felt seeing those nominations come out? Honestly, reading, yeah, well done. Yeah, I mean, reading how he felt about the movie anyway, I'm not mm-hmm. sure he would have really cared. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. We have to tell me about that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, did you find it on streaming anywhere over there? It is actually on Amazon Prime here in the U.S. Oh, cool. Yes. Nowhere else. I mean, that's not true. You can rent it on like Google Play and all yeah, that stuff, but, but you okay. can watch it on Amazon Prime. Yeah, over here it is available on Netflix instead. I, I think it was on Amazon for a period moved to Netflix at some point in the last few months. Okay. Because this has been on our list for a little while. So Right. <laughs> right. Hmm. Okay. Um we've talked about Cher. We've talked about Nicolas Cage in the past. We have. Hmm? We've also talked um, about Norman Jewison in the past because he directed it, the Thomas Crown Affair. Tangentially, yeah. So it, I was surprised quite how much he'd done. Is there anything else of his you're aware of? No. Okay. Good. Cool. <laughs> uh, moving on. <laughs> yeah. Nope. <laughs> Nothing. Yeah. He had uh, just quite an interesting list of a, a mix of things. I was almost a little bit surprised coming to something like Moonstruck, this kind of very naturalistic romance film when he had done Jesus Christ Superstar, the big musical he'd done Rollable and the Thomas Crown Affair and he's done a good mix of genres I I have a a bit of respect and appreciation for that Okay, sounds good Okay Did you enjoy Moonstruck? 
Not really. So, I mean, I'd still probably watch it again if it were on. Right. And after watching it and, like, reading a bunch of stuff people have had to say about it, I feel like I appreciate it more than I did. But I didn't Mm -hmm. particularly enjoy the experience of watching it. Okay. Can you elaborate on why? I think so. Because... This goes back into that whole epiphany I had about rom-coms. Mm, and okay. uh, so we've previously talked about rom-coms. Like the, the definition of a rom-com is that the central relationship is the romantic one and there is a happily ever after. Right. Both of which happen in this movie. This and is there were some a, funny bits. Yeah. By definition, <laughs> a rom-com, right? Mm-hmm. Most rom-coms are super, super tropey. You know, the, the happily ever after in and of itself is a trope. But then you get the, like, love at first sight. The meet cute, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. deciding that you want to get married after only a day, immediately jumping into bed with each other. Some sort of conflict. Yes. All all of these things, although there wasn't actually significant conflict in this one around that Mm. romance. Mm. I mean, the brother, yes, but... (laughs) I mean, she didn't want to be with him, so... (laughs) (laughs) So... Most of the time, all of these tropes work together very well. Like, I mean, we, we've talked ad nauseum of my love of Hallmark movies, right? And they're <laughs> so formulaic indeed. and every single one of them fits every single one of these bills. And right. I love them. I love reading mm-hmm. romance novels. Like Susan Mallory mm-hmm. is one of my favorite authors and literally every single one of her books is the same. You just switch out the character <laughs> names and their <laughs> occupations. I mean, they all literally Cute. live in the same town. Really? Yeah, it, it's a it's amazing. a whole community. It's wonderful and amazing, and I love them. Nice. This movie should have been like that for me, but the way it was written and directed, and and I think some of this is the performance as well. It was so rooted in like gritty realism hmm. that it just felt ridiculous. Like I was watching it thinking okay. this would never happen. Okay. And I don't ever feel that whenever I'm watching. Like Hallmark movies. I'm just like, right. yes, I want them to get together. Yes, they're going to meet. They're fall in love. Love at first sight is amazing. And I just didn't buy it here. It felt like okay. this is ridiculous. This is like the movie is rooted in realism, but what's happening is utterly fantastical. And it just, it was such a juxtaposition that I couldn't get on board. Interesting. And it was so can, bizarre. Can you tell me any particular bits that you didn't believe that, that didn't? work for you well i think it was um after when they went back to ronnie's house mm. and then they end up in bed together got that whole <laughs> is that is that his house or is it the brother's place um i assume it's his okay i'm pretty sure it's his which is why it was weird that she was cooking him steak Mm. She just met him. They go back to his house after he's been yelling, I'm going to kill myself. And she cooks a mistake. And then they have this utterly ridiculous dialogue that had I read it on the pages of a romance novel, I think I would have swooned at. But hearing okay. Nicolas Cage and Cher deliver these lines did <laughs> not work for me. Right. So when... When they go back to his house and she cooks the steak for him and she's trying to kind of really understand what happened between Ronnie and Johnny, mm-hmm. right? Which mm-hmm. really Ronnie and Johnny. <laughs> she she goes onto this whole thing where she tar- starts calling him a wolf and mm. saying he cut his 
he put his hand in the slicer on purpose because he's like a wolf trying to chew his hand off. And I mean, all of that's ridiculous. And then we go into um, a bride without a head, a wolf without a foot. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> and then he flips the table and they start making out. And then he picks her up and starts taking her to the bed. What are you doing? Son of a bitch! Where are you taking me? To the bed. Oh, God. Okay, I don't care. I don't care. Take me. Take me to the bed. I don't care about anything. I don't believe this is happening. I was dead. Me too. What about Johnny? You're mad at him. Take it out on me. Take your revenge out on me. Leave nothing left for him to marry. Leave nothing but the skin over my bones. All right. All right. There will be nothing left. It's the most ridiculous dialogue I have ever seen in my life. Like, who talks like that? And, like, you know, honestly, my first thought in the moment was, okay, it's just the delivery. If I had read this in a rom-com, you know, like in a romance novel, it'd probably be fine. But reading it back, no, this is not okay. There's nothing romantic about this. It's utterly ridiculous. It was written by a man, right? Yes. I mean, that's that's partially the obvious bit here. This thing of, I want to crawl inside you and... <laughs> it's just grim and weird. Hollow me I... out so there's nothing left but the skin <laughs> over my bones? Yeah, I'm going to say that yeah. right before I, uh, you know, go to yeah, bed with right. somebody. That wasn't... I, I kind of had forgotten that, to be honest. But the film has a few moments like that of people giving these long kind of monologue type sequences, mm-hmm. you know, where, where they're saying lots of things that I think are supposed to be romantic. But at the same time, the film doesn't necessarily want to be a romance. L- like you say, in the sort of tropey, right. it's all fantastic, the serendipity sort of romance, yes. the sleepless in Seattle's, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. It wants to try to do something a bit different. But at the same time, it's still got people saying these lines. And then you get the bit... I think at the opera, maybe there's a bit where he's ranting about all this and he does a thing about how love isn't like in the storybooks. The storybooks are rubbish and don't know what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. Like, no, but this is a romance film. Why are you making this if you don't want people to believe in what comes in the storybooks? (laughs) This is, this is fundamentally written wrong. Mm hmm. To the extent that the films I'm comparing it to, something like Sleepless in Seattle, does a very good thing about how love is not necessarily like the storybooks. It has the happily ever after and the meeting on the rooftop and things like that. But it is just getting to know each other, not fitting into each other's lives and eventually finding a way to make it work and so on. Yeah. I was asking on Twitter and Facebook because I've been thinking about this since I watched it. And so I was asking Mm. people um, for examples of other movies that are romantic comedies but aren't super tropey and kind of more rooted in realism. Trying to see if there were other movies that would make me feel the same way Moonstruck did. And honestly, the ones people suggested fit the pattern, but they didn't make me feel like the romance was ridiculous like this one did. Hmm. Any, um, any examples? So um, Juno knocked okay. up. Okay. Um. Our, our friend uh, Vi said Garden State, but I haven't actually seen that one. But what she said about it kind of seemed like maybe. Uh, okay. 
Jazzy, of course, said Princess Bride because it's so rooted in realism. <laughs> it is. It is. Absolutely. <laughs> um, and then, oh, somebody else said The Breakup, and I'm not quite sure about that one. I, it's been so long since I've seen it, I can't remember. The, the problem but, is a, a lot of these films go more to the comedy side of the rom-com. Yeah, yeah. And you're looking at something that sits more on the rom side of the rom-com. Right. But in a way that is less chirpy. Honestly, uh, no, not even. I was going to say maybe something like um, You've Got Mail because their relationship developed naturally, but it still didn't because... Still has tropiness to yeah, it. Yeah, it still has it? a lot of tropiness to it. So I'm, I'm having a hard time thinking of something that really fits the bill quite the same way as this one does. I know uh, they exist, but, you know, I just don't watch as many movies as everybody else does. Yeah, because things I was thinking of were things like 500 Days of Summer, which is not necessarily oh, a romance film. A, good one. A, a little bit like how uh, Garden State, it's almost a quasi sort of coming of age more mm-hmm. than it's a romance film. But you still have the romance in that Jerry Maguire. Jerry Maguire is a good one. Yes. But I love Jerry Maguire. 500 Days of Summer, I hated. And oh, I hated it because it didn't have the happily ever after that I wanted. Right. But you're right. That one definitely fits into the same kind of more realistic. Mm. You know, she set her boundaries and she stuck to them. And that yeah. doesn't happen in the chirpiness of rom-coms. No. So and it's it's unusual for film... You know, all these ones that we're mentioning uh, and Moonstruck, it's unusual for it to have a female lead. This is Cher's story. Yes. You know, and and this is in some ways why it's almost difficult to pick a best actor, Mm -hmm. best male actor, because she is the one who carries all the action and it's all about her. Yeah. You know, one man goes out and then another man comes in. So there's no like one person she's playing against for the whole thing. Yeah, I'm not sure Nicolas Cage had more screen time than uh, her dad or Johnny. Mm, and, and so that may be why he wasn't nominated. Cause... <laughs> yes, that's the reason. <laughs> I don't know, dude. He got really great reviews on this. He had such a great energetic performance. Oh, woof. This is, yeah. you, you could see him becoming Nicolas Cage in this. He's not quite there yet. It's not kind of... Honeymoon in Vegas, yeah, um, Snake that. Eyes yet. but so Apparently they had to rein him in because when they did the whole scene of describing him as a wolf, he wanted to talk all gravelly like a wolf. Oh, Lord. And, and they oh, had Lord. to, like, nip that in the bud. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think someone had suggested Growth Point Blank, which is a good shout. Again, it's almost a little coming-of-age sort of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, do let us know. If anyone else can think of these things... Do let us know, because I bet there are, there, there are some that we can make, particularly female-led romance films that are comedies but are more into the realistic romance. There's one that I've seen, and I, I looked it up on Letterboxd, and Letterboxd says 12 people ever have seen it. Oh, my gosh. Which means, you know, if, if you say Letterboxd is a percentage of the number of people who use these things, it's maybe 1,200 people in the world have right, seen it. Right, 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 yeah. Uh, it's called A Sparkle of Life. A sparkle of life. So if anyone ever gets a chance to see that, it's about a woman who's, I think she's in her 60s. She's been caring for her husband. Her husband dies. She goes to a dating agency and signs up. And there is this interesting, huge stigma to being an older woman dating in Japan. Um, okay. And there is the man who sort of runs the local aged person community who judges her very strongly for it. But 
she and he grow closer through the sequence of events. Interesting. Okay. Beautiful and lovely. And and you know, Japanese films are very good at that kind of quiet thing. So maybe mm-hmm. not looking at Hollywood might do as well. Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to keep thinking on that one. That's a good okay. question. But yeah, so I mean, that's that's my big epiphany is I don't want my rom-coms to be too realistic. Right. I want to live in the fantasy, the fairy yeah. tale. That's what I want yeah. when I go for these types of stories. And this was certainly not a fairy tale. No, absolutely. And and I think it's reminding me a little bit that when I talked about uh, British films, because I don't want to watch small town, middle England, middle class Right. You know, stuff like I go to cinema for the fantasy and yeah. for the, you know, a bit of escapism. Yep. So seeing 37 year old woman who is just on the shelf and no one wants to talk to her and terrible, isn't it? Ugh. She's just so aged and <laughs> horrendous. So, actually, you know, what's really relevant to this is there was a thing going around on Facebook the other day um, hmm. and, and I shared it. it. It showed people like of comparable ages now versus generation ago like a 17 year old now versus a 17 year old in the 60s okay um and a a 50 year old now versus a 50 year old back then and it's shocking when i look at them all of the the older generations i -hmm. expected them to be much older than they actually were okay and and so it makes sense to me that in 1987 a 37 year old widow would have the gray hair and would be kind of over the hill but now, okay, not over the hill, but, you know, but I mean, now I'm 37 and I, I swear to God, I'm not a day over 18, you know? Well, e- exactly. I mean, Cher was in her 40s by the time she made this. She was 41. And in her 40s. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> um, I mean, I thought she, I thought she was much younger than that because frankly, she looks like Cher. Yes. You know, there was a reason she was incredibly popular with everyone. Yes. She says, sang well, looked great. It, it makes you a star in America, frankly. Um, Honestly, it took me, yeah, it took me a little while to figure out that they had put gray hair around her face. I wasn't right. sure. I was like, are are they just highlights? Like, is this like fancy hairstyle? Like, what's happening? And then I realized, <laughs> oh, they're aging her up. They gave her gray hair. Yeah. So that she could have the makeover and become glamorous she's later. she's so old. <laughs> and as someone who is about to turn 39, God, terrible. Like, why would you even look at a woman that old? Oh, Well, Hollywood. I was an old maid at 19. So according <laughs> to my pastor at the time. So I get it. You were not at all. Um, I know I wasn't, but that yeah, community right. believed I was. Yeah. So, yeah, there's that aspect of it that kind of wound me up for a large chunk of it. Uh, And that's an aspect that I think does tell you what time it comes from, that it is a thing when, you know, it's particularly, and this might be an excuse for why it's this community, because you get married, you have babies, you become a maid, matron. Right. So maybe that was an aspect of it, of, of, putting it in a community where we could believe that, but it's a little hard to believe now. A little hard to buy. Um, well, I mean, yeah, because a, a, th- a single 37-year-old woman is in her prime. Mm. Right and and she's been single for seven years? Yes. Uh, yeah, a little difficult to believe it, uh, uh, for, for me, for watching okay. this film. Yeah, I mean, I don't believe Cher would be single for seven years if she didn't want to be. Right? <laughs> but we're trying to say this isn't shared. This is the character 
Loretta. Loretta. Loretta, Loretta Castor. Um, I think her performance did deliver this thing that she was just someone who got on with the job and had sort of had put herself on the shelf. Yes. Herself on the shelf. <laughs> um, well, because she believed in the in the bad luck, right? She believed yeah, exactly. that she was not really destined to marry for love because she did and she squandered it. Hmm. I, I think it's another sign of this was written by a man who went, oh, she looks like that. Or, you know, whatever actress we we cast, and they were always going to cast someone who looks like Cher, because <laughs> um, Hollywood would put themselves on a shelf. And it's it's harder to buy. Mm-hmm. I don't know who you would have cast to, to make that more believable. but Okay, that's fair. It's coming from a perspective that I think doesn't necessarily understand what a woman would think and what might happen. Because she is, she is clearly prepared to get married and to have found someone. She's going out with a guy. But she wants to get married for the sake of being married. She doesn't want to get married for love. Oh, no. At that point, yeah. 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 She just and it's better if you don't be love. A single old woman is what she doesn't mm. want to be. So, mm. I mean, it, it's good, though, that she has, she knows herself well enough to know what she wants and to be willing to get it, right? Yep. She didn't just sit around and wallow. No. Yeah, and, and like we see her having three jobs, I think, or doing her job, but for all the different companies in the area, so doing their accounting. Yes, yes. Yeah. You know, she's she's got the job. She's doing things. Yeah, she's successful. Hmm. I just, oh, they've put gray hair on her because she's so aged. <laughs> it made me laugh all the way. Yeah. And especially because they did it so that she could have the makeover. Yeah. Honestly, it didn't bother me, though. It really okay. didn't. The other thing that made me think it was a film of its time, and, and there were lots of it, and, and particularly that whole thing around doing all the romance stuff but without wanting to be a romance, mm-hmm. you know, the poppy-eyed love sort of romance. The the story where um, I think it's her mother is asking Johnny about why men go after women. Yes. And he says, oh, parable from the Bible that God took the rib from Adam and man is just trying to make himself whole again with a woman and... I, I like that that's not the answer. And when he says men just worry they're going to die alone. I can't remember exactly what his line is, but it's, you know, she goes, that's the reason. Thank you very much. But there is something of that of, I think they'd be called out on it now because that basically, it others non-heterosexual relationships mm-hmm. by saying, oh, you know, relationships are because men want to make themselves complete again. Well, it says nothing about why women want to be with men. It says nothing why women want to be with women and men want to be with men. And it, it feels like this is a situation where you wouldn't consider that because that was just not part of what you wrote in film. Right. If it came out now, we'd all be on Twitter being like, uh, really? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that wasn't just something that people considered. And the question she was specifically asking was, why do men chase women? Why do men cheat on women? I mean, that was mm. what specifically we were talking about. And so... The answer made sense. Not okay. It didn't actually make sense because it was just like this huge, like face palmy moment that I had. Yeah. Like, did he really just say that? But it served a few purposes. It, it served to show us how ridiculous and unsympathetic Johnny is as a character. Hmm. Right. Like, it was mm-hmm. just one more reason for us not to like him. Right. On top hmm. of all of the other ones we had okay. already had, I think. So it didn't bother me that it came from him. That's interesting. So I don't think we were meant to not like Johnny. 
Really? But we were meant to like Ronnie more and see that she, a, a, a little bit like we saw in Pride and Prejudice, she should be with him because she loves him rather than because he's the stable bet. Right. Okay. I mean, I, Johnny's I, not I, a I, bad person, but he's mm. not, he's not an exciting person. He's not a fun person. He's, he, he's not the right person for Loretta. He is a little bit what Loretta is at that point. Maybe. Not Maybe. And you're right, not the right person for her and not what she is capable of, because she's clearly capable of emotion and love and being invested in a relationship. But she doesn't want that. And he doesn't want that. Having him be, I, I don't know a better way to say this, but essentially a mama's boy, mm-hmm. I think was intended to make him less than desirable. Yeah. Um, and, and not just because he was crying over his mom, although that crying scene was utterly ridiculous and over the top, <laughs> but the fact that he chose not to marry Loretta because if he married her, his mom was going to get sick again. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, he was, mm-hmm. he, he didn't really care about Loretta. Like With a le- neat little bow at the end of the film. Well, yeah. That, <laughs> that was the best possible outcome for this movie. Yeah. It mm-hmm. really was. But it, it all kind of went together to make Johnny... Less than desirable is, is the best yeah. way I can say that. That That is a nice way of saying it. Like I say, I'm not sure we were supposed to not like him, mm-hmm. but just go, oh, these two shouldn't be together. Right. I mean, because they did welcome him into the family still. Because, mm. If, mm. I mean, he's still going to be part of the family if his brother is marrying her. So Absolutely. they still gave him the champagne and said, you're still part of the family. And he looked all mm-hmm. dejected, but <laughs> he was dejected because he lost, not because he was heartbroken. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he only lost because she decided she wanted Ronnie before he had a chance to tell her that he didn't want to marry her. Yeah, yeah. Right? That was an interesting Yeah, she scene. was all, all geared up to yeah. have the argument and yeah. Yeah. And, and there is something in there of, I think at the beginning of the film, she might have accepted the rejection. Like, yeah, okay, it happens. I have bad luck. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, she's like, no, you should want me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Yeah, mm. his line to the mother is where he finally says, "I don't know, maybe because he fears death." I quite like that. See, I thought that line came from Olympia Dukakis. I thought she's the one who first said that, or maybe, maybe she said that to uh, John Mahoney before she talked to Johnny, and then Johnny also said it. Let's see if we can find out. Uh, death. Oh yeah, no, she does then say it to John Mahoney later. But but Johnny is the one who has said it to her. And she gets all excited, like, yes, I understand now. I now have some comprehension. Because mm. okay. she already knows that her husband is going off with a strange woman. Mona. That he gives ugly bracelets to. Yeah, that bracelet's so ugly. <laughs> it was awful. Birds and stars. Okay, so I do still, I think a very important part of this movie is the fact that it is an Italian-American family. Okay. And I think part of that is, that may be part of why I struggled with enjoying the movie so much, because it is, Mm -hmm. there were a lot of things. So I read this article about how this movie nailed the Italian-American family. And it was all of the things that I thought were completely over the top and ridiculous. And I was like, I don't understand. And so I feel like I really wish that we had planned ahead with enough time to have somebody 
who loves this movie, who is also Italian-American, mm-hmm. who could come on and talk to us about this movie. Okay, yeah, yeah. To kind of walk us through because um, even, like, Nicolas Cage's performance apparently was okay for what he was trying to portray on the screen. Okay. Like, Good it wasn't him. just Nicolas Cage being crazy. Mm. Um. And and there is a lot like the drama and the the curses and and all of that stuff. I mean, at, at one moment I was thinking, <clears throat> wow, when did Sofia Petrillo end up in this movie? Like, mm-hmm. I cursed that plane, right? <clears throat> um, yeah, that's a good moment because you're expecting him to die almost. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like, this is going to come of something, and then nothing ever came. No, of it. it's just a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and so I really do wish that I knew more about that culture. And so then I wonder if I would have a deeper appreciation for what we were being shown, because I Mm -hmm. do feel like this movie is a little bit of a love letter to the Italian American family, maybe. And I just am so far removed from that world that it's entirely foreign to me. Okay. I think the thing that comes to me is I could see this being a Chinese family or a latinx family or mm-hmm. any culture and i you know a caucasian family i think there are aspects of it yes about the fact they all live so close together and some of the way they interact so there are things that would change but i think it is just a, it uh, and this is one of the strengths of it it is well written characters who do feel like they have pre-existing relationships mm-hmm. you know they they feel like a very complete set of characters but I could see it being anything else and still working, probably with some different foibles. But mm-hmm. I think I think the sense of community is what's so very good about it. And in some ways, I'll, I'll tell you what it tells us really is everyone's largely the same. <laughs> this is this is one of the bullshit things behind racism because everyone's the same. Everyone hates other people. <laughs> you know, everyone <laughs> okay. is racist to everyone else. Yeah, no, um, you're not. You're not wrong. Everyone has strife with families. Everyone loves their families. Everyone just wants to be happy and get on and do a good job and things. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter what you look like in any way. Right. Absolutely. This is, you know, communities and people have differences. But I think this is a very, very good telling of a small community, a family at the core of this community. um, And some of their interactions and some of their things. Yeah. But... Yes, I am also neither Italian nor American. <laughs> so <laughs> is there something to this that actually says, you know, oh, the film is utterly different if you change it? I don't know. I just don't feel it does from my experience watching stories. Okay, that's fair. He says, dot, 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 question mark. Yeah, no, that's fair. <laughs> You're, you are allowed your own opinion, Matthew. Mm. Despite you being a man. Yeah, I'm wrong. However. <laughs> <laughs> no. Okay, so there there were a few things that happened in this movie that I don't know why they chose to put them there, and I'm wondering if you have any thoughts okay. on them. Oh, okay, yeah, definitely. Um, the whole scene about her forgetting to deposit the money. Why was that there? Yeah, now, so I thought she'd taken the money for the makeup. I did too. I absolutely thought that's what they were going to do. And then I was like, that doesn't make any sense character-wise. No. And then it turns out she just forgot to take it to the bank. Why? Why does that matter? It's part of it just to get the brother back in there at the end. God, it's so bad. Because there's aspects of this. You know, I've I've mentioned about the the scene that you read out so beautifully. 
about <laughs> suck me dry. Yeah. <laughs> you know, clearly that was a bed- bedroom scene written by a man. Yeah. Um, and, and other bits, you know, j- that just like didn't get the right perspective on this. Is this, well, we've got these actors and, and they kind of have done stuff in the story. We need to get them back in at the end. Oh, why don't we get them in because she's taken their money? Okay. Yeah, that's great. Bob, put it in the script. It's just, it's the first thing you think of. There, there, there are other things I think we're going to come to in a minute that I think are lazy, poor writing. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of going to be now my go-to excuse. Is, okay. is that it? Is it just that they wanted them there at the end to show this family coming together? Oh, interesting. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe Who that knows? was the only way they could think of to get them there. Yeah, right. Because it was it was quite funny with them like, do do you want to tell us something? We don't want to accuse you, but at the same time, like it was done very nicely. <laughs> I think. Um, why did we have the whole scene with the lady who was going to curse the plane, who ended up not even believing in curses? She was just mad, and then we never saw her again. Yeah, yeah, a bit weird. A bit like it's an unfired Chekhov's gun. Right. Maybe it was going to be something in the sequel. Maybe she's the star of the sequel. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I mean, other than out. that is one of those quintessentially Italian-American things. Like, it's that's an Italian thing to curse. Yes, it is. Ugh, I curse really your bad. houses. Yes, it yes. is a Romeo and Juliet thing. Or um, which is may the pasta Roma? never cling to your, may your marinara sauce never cling to your pasta. That's a golden. What's that from? That's from the Golden Girls. Okay. That's Sofia Petrello, <laughs> if you don't know who ah. she is. No, I don't. That was like um, the worst possible curse she could place on her sister. Is she the older one in? Yeah. Okay. Got it. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's also, again, it's a little bit kind of doing the exotic thing. You know, again, I'd buy it if it was mm. some East Asian thing and they're like, oh, I'm going to curse you. <laughs> or even, you know, South American with the idea of voodoo and things like that. Mm. And, mm, South American, okay. Central American. It just felt like there were these little things that they just dropped in for no good reason other than they wanted to. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter, right? That had nothing mm. to do with the plot. Okay. That's all. Because I did, I did quite enjoy her having cursed the plane. And in some ways, it gives you a yet more sense of families. Because that's the other side of the story, is it's a generational story. So you have her telling a little story about her and her sister over the years. Mm-hmm. And what they've done with each other. So again, it's just sort of setting the scene of you're still your family forever. Yeah. Whether or not you treat each other badly or wrongly and puts us in the mind of perhaps he should make up with his brother. Which I spent a lot of time like, why is his brother not there seeing his mother if his mother's dying? I was wondering about that too. I was right? irritated. I, I, I like that they referenced it at the end, but I almost wish it had been... Oh, he's my half brother. Something, or that you know, something that it's not actually his mother. Just make it easier, rather than. Oh, there's also a story about him falling out with his mother. Although, is it supposed to be like Nicolas Cage is so vitriolic and emotional that right he doesn't get on with anyone? Yeah, because that was nice. How at the end when he finally meets her family and he is just charming and nice to them. Well, this uh, this food suddenly smells delicious. Oh, it's going to be great. Oh yeah, mm, I'm Nicolas Cage. Yeah. It's my Nicholas Cage impression. <laughs> Do we want to talk about the slapping? Um, I don't have much to say about it. So what are your thoughts? It seems to have fired you up a little bit somehow. 
I, I get annoyed seeing this stuff in films. And it, it is, again, it's a, a remnant of older films mm-hmm. that you see less and less as time goes on. It normalizes domestic abuse against men. Because mm-hmm. that's what it is. It, it is. feeds into toxic masculinity of women can he- hit men because men are so strong and it's great. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you gender swap it, it's terrible. Anybody so, hitting anybody in a relationship is terrible. Exactly. Exactly. But but if you have that reaction one way, we should have the reaction the other way. But there is this whole thing of, mm-hmm. oh, it's fine. Cher is so small. Nicolas Cage is so big. It's fine for her to hit him twice because he said he loves her. <laughs> Snap out of it. That, that I will point at is lazy writing. It would have been so much stronger if she'd had a comeback for him. Something to actually say, you don't love me. You just love all this. Or you just want to get back at your brother. Or something. Mm -hmm. But it's not. It's she hits him. And it's, I I think it's a, a poor moment in the film. Okay. So here's where... I can see that I am still a product of societal norms mm-hmm. because it didn't bother me. Like hearing you say all of you these loved things, it. I, you I, love I, violence against men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hearing you say all of these things intellectually, 100% you're right. <laughs> yes, that is true. But Twice in one episode. <laughs> you're always right, Matthew. <laughs> Tell me all the time. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) (laughs) I grew up in a society where that was okay. Mm. You know, and and I saw it in movies all the time, like it was normal. And so when I see it, the first thing I think of isn't, I should speak against that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's something I have to actively work on. Mm. Oh, yeah, same. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not. And so, I mean, I appreciate appreciate you you pointing it out is what I'm trying to Um, say. Because I'm still in that place where I see it. Like, I think I laughed when I saw right. it yeah. instead of having, because that's, I mean, that's what they were going for. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, you watch the film on its own terms. And, and yes, it is funny because Cher is so small, Nicolas Cage is so big, and she has nothing to say to him. And it's a wonderfully gifable moment. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is that. Um, <laughs> it, it occurs to me because, yeah, I'm exactly the same. I've watched all these things that do normalize it, that do show, hey, it's, fine that's the way women can react towards men great um there was a music video all saints some girl band pussycat dolls maybe i cannot remember who it was but they have a video which is them raging at their men and throwing things at them and so on and i think it got called out and i think it was reading that of like reading someone writing about it and saying this is not a good thing mm-hmm. um that made me go oh yeah that's a very fair point and question it but you don't question it until you're sort of because it is just so normalized. Right. I'm not even sure normalized is the right word, to be honest with you. But uh, Good. So that was my reaction. Do we want to cover anything more? Um, I, I think we should move on to the things that we did enjoy about the movie. <laughs> things that, are they favorites? Oh, no, wait. There was something I wanted to say. Okay. Um, given all of the things that we're talking about, lazy writing, things that are just kind of sprinkled mm-hmm. in. I don't understand why this movie won for best original screenplay. And I looked to see what it was up against and it Good, doesn't help you. me because I'm not familiar with any of these movies. Okay. Can you, can you tell me? Uh, broadcast news, uh, hope, uh, hope and glory mm-hmm. radio days, which is Woody Allen. Ugh. 
And then it looks like a French movie. Oh, well, it's on form. Yes, I can't say that. Yes, which is supposed to be extraordinary. I've never actually seen it. Okay. So I, I don't know how Moonstruck holds up compared to these other four movies. But based on all of the things that we've talked about today, I don't understand how this screenplay was the best. I don't know, not having seen all of them. So that's a really tough thing to answer. I mean, Woody Allen has won in the past, and I think they expected him to win in the future. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, the Oscars, the Academy Awards, are not great awards. The groups, the categories are generally good, but when you actually get into what wins, there's a lot more going on there. Broadcast News, I think, came out after... Not the newsroom. I can't remember what the film is called. I'm mad as hell. I'm not going to take it anymore. I don't know. What was that film? Hang on, hang on. Let's find out. Network. Network. When did Network come out? 1976. Right. So Brett, Broadcast News came out after Network and I think is something similar to it from what I've heard, from what I've been told. Um, you know, taking that story to another place. Although it's a good thing they might go, but it is, it has some derivative elements to it. Hope and Glory and Au Revoir Les Enfants are not American. I think Hope and Glory might have been British. Hmm. And the Academy Awards are the, the best Hollywood films of the year. Right. If I'm honest. Right. No, absolutely. And Moonstruck didn't win for Best Picture. So there might have been a thing of, oh, well, we'll throw them a Best Screenplay. Mm. Okay. Maybe, perhaps. Fair enough. I don't know. All right. So. Not a, not a great year for film. Good Morning Vietnam came out that year. Yeah, yeah, and that's good. Wall Street also came out and won for Best Oscar. I mean, Michael Douglas is is very good in that, but, you know. Fatal Attraction. Mm. Yes, Fatal Attraction did indeed come out that year. Which I have not seen. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. All right, favorite moments. Go. It was, yeah, it was a favorite of the Academy. (laughs) It was, absolutely. For, For the screenplay, let me tell you my favorite bit in the screenplay was when Johnny does say to her, look, I'm not I'm not going to be able to marry you. Mm-hmm. And she's annoyed at him. And she says, in time, you'll drop dead and I'll come to your funeral in a red dress. That was a great line. Amazing. Great that delivery. is an insult. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. She was properly pissed off. Yeah. And, and I love that. That, that, is, uh, that. that is how she would destroy his legacy. I'll come to your funeral in a red dress. That's how much I disrespect you. Right. I think it's hilarious because they're both angry with each other and it's not even because they're breaking each other's hearts. It's just that they don't want each other. Like they want to be wanted and they don't want each other. And so they're mad. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's hilarious. And then then they take his ring anyway. Um, I'm going to kick this off, but I will throw it over to you to discuss because the other good bit of the screenplay is everything about Olympia Dukakis and yes. her character and her performance. Why can't we have that movie? Right. Like I, So they kept going back and forth between Rose and Perry or Olympia Dukakis and John Mahoney. Mm-hmm. And they were cutting back between that and the opera. Yep. And all I could think was this movie is so much more interesting than the other one like i want Mm. to see this story i want to see these two be friends Mm -hmm. you know i want to see rose figure out that she's worth more than what she's got 
you know, yep. and I, I want to see that. And we didn't. It, it feels like that's the sort of film they have finally started making with people like, well, let's say Meryl Streep, Steve Martin, Jack Nicholson, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people who have gotten older and are still going through relationships, meeting mm-hmm. each other, getting together, that kind of thing. It feels like we finally started getting them in the 2000s. But at this point, they couldn't imagine that being the the pull for the story. Yeah, yeah. I but mean, like, really in the 80s, we would never have had a movie like Book Club. Have you seen no. Book Club? It's so I good. I haven't. But... So good. But mm. I love Jane Fonda and Diane Keaton and all those folks. So Yeah, nice. Uh, yeah, everything that she does in this film is amazing. Yeah, and, and at the end of, of their walk, she, she tells him, she says, I'm not going to invite you in, not because I'm married, but because I know who I am. Nice. God, and that's just so reminiscent of like Peggy Carter. I don't care what yeah. anybody thinks because I know my value. I know my worth. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know who I am and what I stand for. Mm. And I think that's the best moment in the whole dang movie. Okay. And it has nothing to do with the plot of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I, I like. I like her thing to him about um, you know don't marry someone you love so it doesn't break your heart when you're not together. Which I've seen done as a joke on Twitter, like marry someone you don't like so the divorce isn't as bad. Right. Clearly pulled from this film. Yeah. Um, and the fact at the end when she says to Loretta, like, do you love him? Oh, I love him so much. Oh, that's a shame. No, she says, <laughs> I love him awful, Ma. That's what she says. <laughs> I love him awful. Sweetly. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. So the, the other thing I really like is... Um, Loretta's reaction in both proposals. Like, mm. she didn't get the proposal she thought she deserved both times, and she called the men on it. Like, she yeah. made Johnny get down on one. She said one knee, and he got down on both like he's praying. Which he's yes. an idiot. Yep. You know, she's like, where's the ring? How do you propose to me without a ring? You know, and then Ronnie does the same thing. He, she doesn't make him get down on one knee, but she immediately says, where's the ring? Right? Mm-hmm. She knows what she wants and what she deserves, and she asks for it. Yeah, and I thought that was wonderful. It's great. That's it. Those were all yeah. the good moments in this movie. <laughs> oh. I mean, I did enjoy Nicolas Cage going off on one about his hand. I, that's not Johnny's fault. I don't care. I ain't no freaking monument to justice. I lost my hand. I lost my bride. Johnny has his hand. Johnny has his bride. You want me to take my heartbreak, put it away, and forget? I'm not I, sure I, enjoy is the right word, but I'm glad I saw it. I enjoyed the performance of it. The whole hand thing is trying to be a rom com in this thing that does not have much of the com going mm. as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. And again, perhaps that's just because of the time it was from. And um, yeah. you know, we know some of these actors and things better now, but again, perhaps they could have given him genuine reasons. He's the most tormented man I've ever known. <laughs> 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 it's a bit like the the fake boyfriend in Inside Out. I would oh. die for Riley. <laughs> yeah, bring me the big knife. No, you have to watch me slit my throat. Wow. Yeah. No, it was it was something. For sure. Mm, mm. It was something. Nice. All right. Is there anything else that we need to discuss about Moonstruck? No. (laughs) Okay. Are there other Cher movies that we should watch? I I think Mask is on the list and maybe Mermaids. 
I'm not sure if mask is on the list. It's it's not one that comes up in conversation very often. To be okay. honest, um, it is supposed to be great when you hear it referenced, but for whatever reason, it's one of those. Oh yeah, that is really good. So who knows? We mentioned mermaids, and that's that's when someone says share in film to me, that's the one that comes to mind. Okay, I don't have any idea what it's about. I would assume mermaids, but I don't know. <laughs> So that's the one I think perhaps is to go on the list. Although I was age appropriate when it came out. You know, I was 11 when I saw it, 12, something like that. So whilst I think you'll love it, I have no idea if it's actually any good. Okay. But but Cher, Bob Hoskins, Winona Ryder and Christina Ricci. Chris, uh, oh, that's That'll an interesting do, cast. Yeah. Mm. Let's do that. Okay. Let's that one, that one goes on the list. Yeah. I'm very glad you've seen Burlesque, so we're not going to watch Burlesque, I frankly. I love Burlesque. Hold it. And she's supposed to be very good in Tea with Mussolini, but I'm probably not going to watch that one. Good. And she is in Witches of Eastwick, right? She is in Witches of Eastwick, which I think is on the list already. Yeah, we should do that this October. Yeah. I'm putting in my formal request right now. I would like to do that to do this that October. One. Okay. Good. <laughs> we nope. had a great comment on our website from Nicholas D. I don't know what this D stands for, but thank you, Nicholas. Um, just caught up on the PCD in my podcast feed and listened to the Hello Dolly episode. Personally, I am not a huge fan of Barbara Streisand, but my wife idolizes Babs. It, you were looking for a modern adaptation, and there is a play production of Hello Dolly called Matchmaker that my wife actually starred in a couple of years ago. Also, Ooh. she says Babs. Babs's best film is Yentl, so that should be the next on the list. Okay. I mean, Yentl I really enjoyed, so I'm definitely okay. up for watching that one. I was interested to find, whilst Matchmaker is put on, Hello Dolly was based on the play Matchmaker. And I think because Hello Dolly was so successful, that has now replaced it as the production people put on. Like if you were going to do Matchmaker, you would do Hello Dolly. Oh, I see. Okay. Probably just for the name recognition or something. Right, right. Okay. Hm. But I, I, I am curious. I, I think I do need to go and look at the plot and see... What are the differences? Because the character names looking at the character list seem to be identical. Okay. Mr. Vendiger. <laughs> well, so I'm wondering if they just made it not a musical. Like they took the musical aspects out of it maybe and kept it the oh, same. Maybe, actually, and that's, that's why they changed the name back to Matchmaker maybe? Yeah. Well, because it, it's a play from the 30s. Mm-hmm. And then Hello Dolly was based on So maybe Hello Dolly is the musical version of Matchmaker. Right, okay. Yeah. Okay. Weird. Mm. All right. Well, if you would like to join the conversation, you can use the hashtag PC Deprived on Twitter. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing, or you can send an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com. Pop Culture Deprived is completely funded by listeners like you through Patreon. Anything you can give, even $1 a month, gives access to bonus shows, early access to shows, exclusive merch, stickers, discounts on our merch store, all sorts. And it helps us continue what we do and to develop new shows. If you want to find out more, you can go to patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. And we will be back next week where we are going to talk about Nightwatch for Matthew's birthday. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And I sweat and shovel this stinking dough in and, in and out of this hot hole in the wall.
Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, visit eloquentgushing.com or find us on Twitter at eloquentgushing.